Archetypal Tarot Podcast explores universal human patterns called archetypes by investigating the major arcana of the ancient tarot. We recognize these archetypes because they are present in our own life stories, myths, and culture. Each card represents a stage of the journey for understanding the greater story of our lives. Hello and welcome to the Archetypal Tarot Podcast. I'm Sundara Quackenbush, a tarot consultant here in San Francisco. And with me is Julianne Javot, a consultant specializing in archetypes. Today we are delving into the card number six of the major arcana of the tarot, the lovers. And we will be exploring the archetypes in detail of the lover and the companion. And uh, just for you today, we've decided to record this podcast in our lingerie, so you can have that image in your mind. Actually, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but go ahead and uh, may, uh, say a few words for us, Julian. Let, let us know you're in the room. Uh, I'm in the room. Um, I am not wearing lingerie. Sorry. It's too cold, quite frankly. <laughs> I know we discussed that because this is the lovers, but um, yeah. We'll, no. we'll just have to warm things up for you. Yeah. We're just making sure you're listening, actually. <laughs> okay, so um, we are going to explore some of the images that come up uh, in the tarot cards, starting with the oldest deck, the Marseille's version. And so in the card of the Levers, we see our hero, the one that we've been following along, the fool in this journey. And it looks as though he's come across a very new situation that he has not been in before. He is surrounded by women, two women to be exact, um, and they both seem to be requiring quite a lot of his attention. We have an older woman with, she looks just more experienced, more of the world's perhaps more wise and knowledgeable. And he, she is on his left. And to his, uh, or it's rather she's on his right. And then on the other side, we have a younger woman. She looks kind of like him in a lot of ways. She, she looks of the similar age. Uh, and so we've got here sort of like a love triangle happening. And then up above in the sky, we've got an angel or... Cupid-like character. Uh, we'll be exploring a little bit today the power and mythology of Eros, but here he is with his little arrow pointing straight at what looks like the heart of our hero. And in the version of the Rider-Waite deck, we've got uh, a more maybe familiar uh, to our Western minds these original lovers of uh, Adam and Eve. And once again, we've got an angelic sort of figure hovering up in the sky. We've got that tree of life and the tree of knowledge in the background and what looks to be like a very phallic mountain. So definitely <laughs> <laughs> that plays a role, right? <laughs> so, um, so let's explore a little bit about what this means for the journey of our fool about this hero. What does it mean that he's come across this situation at this stage in the game? Especially coming after the... the right, and we've, we've just come from the Pope. We've card, come right? from the Pope. And now we're in the choice point. Well, um, as, as I've always kind of looked at this, it's, it's about balance and about choice. The two archetypes that I see strongest here are the lover and the companion. But balancing, and we've talked a lot about the masculine and feminine um, ideas with each of the cards. This one really 
seems to me about that balance of the intellect and emotion and doing and being, yin and yang. It's interesting, this this whole idea of, in our culture, specifically American culture, about, you know, how valued the masculine is, because it's masculine is productivity and getting things done and making things happen. Um, and we often associate that with the, the left side of the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I use that whole idea of the brain really more metaphorically. We need both sides of our brains in the literal sense. But um, I'm bringing this up because I thought it was interesting I'd, uh, as a stage where you're looking at that balance of being and doing and mm. intellect and emotion. I had posted this. I found this really great image and someone had drawn and did basically an art piece that illustrated it had a picture of a brain. And one half looked very much like it was on graph paper and it was very you know, about the linear. It was representing what uh, the masculine basically is. And then the right side was painted and beautiful and there were music notes and it was just splashed with color. And so I I thought it was neat. And I posted it on my Facebook page for my business. That has gotten the most responses of anything I think I've ever posted. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of people, men and women, posting about like, you know, kind of getting excited. Oh, I don't have a left brain or I don't have a right brain. And someone posted something about like, you know, there's a myth that the right and left brains are like this. And he, you know, was very much like the masculine way of going, you know, going at it literally. (laughs) Um, And I, yeah. So I just thought it was really interesting that this brings a lot up for people that if Mm. you're identifying too much with one or the other, the other tends to offend you. Right, where mm. right brain people tend to be the well, let's just say the the people who are focused on the feminine and creativity, they can be offended by anything that's the masculine, intellectual, linear type type thing. So that coming up right now before the recording, I thought was interesting because my point, as I posted little comments, was we need a balance. We need both. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, and th- it's interesting that you you bring this up too because to look at this in a psychological way too, as if we identify more with a masculine mind or a feminine mind, that that opposite is in us no matter what. It it will be in our unconscious, mm-hmm. and what happens to it when we're we are unconscious of something, we project it out onto the world around us, mm-hmm. and. Uh, there's a wonderful book by James Hollis called The Eden Project, which actually ties in great with this Adam and Eve. And it's all about this needing to return to the source and this feeling like we've, we've lost something. We used to feel connected. Now we feel disconnected. We often seek to return through our relationships. And so if we have some part of us that is unconscious, in Jungian terms, that would be like our inner animus or anima, we project that onto people outside of us. And this is how relationships, and as Hollis makes the point, all relationships begin. And so I think this is what our heroes, maybe one of the things he's going through right now is that he's he's just come from this these stages of being with amazing, huge figures, amazing guides. He's got the great mother. He's got the father. He's got all of these mentoring, guiding figures. And it's really in this stage that he has to make his first choice for himself. And how many times when we were young were we advised by our parents, don't go after that woman or don't go after that young man because they're trouble or whatever, but we were caught by something that we needed to work out. And no matter how wise all of these people were that came Mm -hmm. before us, we had to find out on our own 
what to do and to have that experience and to make our own mistakes and to get really involved in the mess of life because that's how we start engaging and learning and i feel like this is really where this hero where our little fool is at right now is at this big choosing decision and the heavens seem to be forcing him out of the womb out of just listening and following these large guides and he's like okay i have to make my own choice Absolutely. And uh, the, the sort of impassionedness and the idea of the sort of creativity of the the archetype of the lover and um, this choice point and the, the masculine and the feminine. Like, who are you going to be? What are you going to do? How does that come together? What are your choices going to look like? And getting really, really excited about, you know, this journey that you're on. And to, to bring it to the, the everyday level, if somebody's um, looking at all of these, this, this journey of these tarot cards and these archetypes that are through it, um, also is a stage of understanding how do you, how much do you love this project and can you, can you get a sense that you are with it in a way and you can be really excited about it and passionate about it and where is that coming from and how can you keep it going? Because we, we know that there are ebbs and flows in terms of our sort of like passion towards something. Right. Um, and that I think that the balance of the masculine and feminine lets us work with those ebbs and flows because mm-hmm. you're not going to be completely passionate about it every single moment. You will tend to burn out quickly. It's just um, like a relationship we have with people, right? When we start out, we're totally in love. We're very, very passionate and we're consumed by it. And there seems to be endless energy to do and be together. And we feel like that when we first start a project, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Oh my gosh, this novel idea is mm. so novel <laughs> <laughs> and the the just all the possibilities get us and then it comes down to this wow the day-to-day you mm-hmm. know the the practicalities that come into producing a vision um it, it's it it can become like you know your long-term commitment to a partner for mm-hmm. sure and it's like how can you support each other right so it's a good time to kind of take a look at your approach thus far um, and the choices that you are making and understanding that, um, you know, there's, there's different energies that are going to come into play. And if, if it's all very much one, um, just, I'm just going to sit here and, you know, be with this, or I'm just, I've got to just do and I get obsessed with a to-do list. That's a very, that's the, the sort of masculine archetype, um, to take a look at that and understand that a little bit better and understand that this is both the lover and the companion. Mm-hmm. Um, and those can, I think, really help uh, bring a lot, a lot of things to light and understand it a little bit better and be able to, to not burn out or to not get so dis- disappointed or disinterested in, in something, especially at this, this stage. So do you want to go a little bit more into uh, what the archetype of the lover sort of as it stands alone Right, and then this is really your your realm of of knowledge, right? So, what does it mean to just be a lover, to be a lover of everything, or to be out in the world with dominated almost by that, or yeah. in good relationship with the archetype of the lover? Um, and there are, you know, there. I think, strangely enough, lately I've had more people, more of my clients, kind of choosing the lover archetype, and mm-hmm. kind of going through the process of assessing if that's really what it is. Um, but what really marks the lover is just an enthusiasm, a passion, and a devotion for someone or something. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be a lover in that romantic sense. 
although it can come out like that for sure. But there are people who are passionate about their bonsai gardens or there's people who are passionate about music and they get they just have such a, a devotion that is really kind of an organizing effect on their life. And that's a mark of an archetype. Does it mm-hmm. help organize things for you? You know, it's it's a motivation, but it's also you've a lot of times you will create your life in a way that lets you be passionate about something or mm-hmm. something. It's a very, very alive archetype. Yeah. Um, and it, it can tend to, in the shadow form or its unempowered form, be either obsessive or be one of highs and lows of like you could be just passionate about something and then just get disappointed and, you know, kind of crash and feel like the world has betrayed you or, Mm. you know, you, you, you kind of wrap up your own mental health and self-esteem in something. Again, it's a projection. Right. Um, and that's kind of where people get into a place that's really uncomfortable with the archetype and that ability to sort of pull back those projections because they put so much on it. That's also a big difficulty, um, because they have such admiration for something and that admiration oftentimes takes takes a form that is always outside the self. That they that's difficult to recognize that that admiration is coming from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not actually it's not actually emanating from the object of their desire, be it a piece of artwork or an idea or a person. That that's where the difficulty can lie with the the lover archetype is that sort of waking up and realizing that that love and admiration actually emanated from themselves that they can't it can be difficult to pull it back and to not see it as being wholly coming from the other yeah that's really big and this makes me think of the the god eros in this regard he's got a bow and arrow so it's like geared towards objects in the outer world right and to be able to pull those arrows back and go wow i'm i'm shooting this love out there mm-hmm. <laughs> i think that's a very very important thing to do and and it, it seems like the lever would be connected then to this god eros mm-hmm. and 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 in the big form of eros not the just eros has been very diminished and in, in modern society to erotic which comes mm-hmm. from arrows it's been diminished down to this little diaper wearing fat cherub fat baby that kind of flies around and shoes shoots willy-nilly these little arrows and and but this is big arrows and there's a couple of myths about him and in he's actually one of the oldest gods so there's an Eros that came like way in the beginning of the Pantheon. And then there's the Eros that's the the ch- the child of or the product of Aphrodite and Ares. Um so he's he's a he's a big important god, right? And he has this amazing myth with um Psyche, Psyche right? So uh, I don't know how much you wanted to go into that myth today, but I think it's certainly one for people to check out if they're if they're interested. Um, yes, actually, um, <coughs> and we've mentioned Robert Johnson on this mm-hmm. podcast before. So, um, the psychological aspects of the story of Eros and Psyche is explored at length in the she. book She. Right, and um, I'm also recommending if you can to read We if you want to learn all about the role of projection and making the other seems so brilliant and that you're so in love with them and how to work that out in your relationship mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. you can relate as human beings. Definitely check that out. Yeah. It can be, it can be a difficult concept for a lot of people mm-hmm. um, to kind of 
separate oneself from that idea that the other is always the holder and it it's something that again is is worth a lot of conversation for people to talk about and um just to to if they have an interest in it look into it and uh just kind of notice where where they are with it because there's there's generally a lot of sort of like that can't can't be possible this person makes me happy right that's that's a difficult place to kind of go so um and it's something i know that we we will work with you know with with people with those ideas and um and just sort of recognizing things as patterns you know obviously in my practice is really really important and there's an article on my website about the lover as well so which kind of brings me to because in that article i've discussed you know the the types of love right the lover is about love but there's agape love which is the brotherly love or the mm. sisterly non um non-sexual or platonic love um and and admiration which is still part of, you know, it's love, mm-hmm. but that can be shown and it can be a love for life. And in the article, I mentioned the Dead Poet Society, which I think we mentioned in the last podcast as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. because, and I, I, I do recommend this film because I think it's an enjoyable film and, and well done. And it's, gosh, it's from 1989 and two, there's a lot of great examples of the lover there. The instructor who comes to this very sort of uptight school uh, prep school for all for boys in the 1950s so there's just a lot of uh, a lot of tension and a lot of sort of expectations but he comes in and he's teaching poetry he is basically showing them how can they can be a lover of life mm-hmm. through poetry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and two of the characters i mean i think all of them will imbue the lover archetype at one point or another but neil patrick harris who um, plays a young man who finds his passion in theater which is very difficult for his wealthy, you know, parents who want him to be a lawyer or whatever. But his passion is found in theater. And then the kind of stereotypical lover archetype of um, a character played by Josh Charles, who he's just madly in love with this girl. And she's a cheerleader and just everything that you would imagine sort of ensues from his pursuit of her. And that's that classic. But it's a great movie to kind of look at. Um, the archetype in as many splendors. Again, they're all men, um, <laughs> pretty much. But uh, hmm. you know that that will that's the way Hollywood tends to to do that. They will they will always go with the masculine role. Um, I'm still looking for ones that have the the feminine in the light aspect. There's a couple of you know the the shadow lover Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction. That's mm. that's the shadow unempowered you scary. Uh, as well as Sandra Bullock in a really kind of funny film called All About Steve. And I'll post um, these examples of the lover archetype and the companion up on Yeah, and we're the website. always open to uh, suggestions if you're thinking of one right now that, oh, I've no- I know the perfect female lover yeah. archetype that I've seen in a film recently, then um, totally bring that in. Yeah, let us know. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking almost of... Frida Kahlo at this, like as a lover of life and just immersing oneself in imagery and the love of her painting and very passionate. I love that film about her, her, uh, her life and just, yeah, how passionate she was. So I think that's a really good example as well. Mm -hmm. So why don't we transition now into going a little more in depth about the companion. So after we realize that we have these projections or that we've, you know, we've, really just been caught up in the passion for a while and then we we realize we need to have a long-term commitment with someone something more trusting something where we can be more human and 
have our flaws hang out a little bit, you know? Tell us a bit about what, what does it mean to be a companion in both the light sense and then the shadow sense of what can come from that. Sure, the, the companion represents, first of all, sort of a loyalty to someone and in some cases a tenacity to sort of stick with them through thick and thin and um, an unselfishness, you know, and it's a most empowered part. They're the buddy. I mean, there's a lot of names for the companion, the, the sidekick, the consort, the confidant, the right arm, buddy. So that's a really, really important role and they provide a service. They're almost in service to their friend. You know, they'll, they'll be the person that, that gets to know them really deeply and can, can hold their secrets and, and in a way kind of just honor their humanity. Um, and at most empowered level, a friend is just, you know, that buddy that's there for you, you know, no matter what. And I like looking at this card also as, as the stage of the journey of like, how can you be a companion to what you're you're on about the project or whatever and how can that be a companion to you Mm -hmm. understanding that at a different level i mean people who are in service jobs secretaries personal assistants people who basically kind of play that role kind of as a sidekick or as a support person they can be really really good at their job but they also kind of get to know a lot of intimate secrets about things and the shadow side of the companion is that betrayal or manipulation or they start to get jealous because the sidekick does have a role of being just a little bit to the side um, Mm -hmm. where if they kind of feel like they've sublimated their own desires in order to serve the other person if they haven't taken care of themselves and this can happen with people who have a very strong companion is they they just start not caring for themselves as much as they do the other person and there's there's always going to be sort of an unbalance there that people are going to act and react in ways that are all aren't always that pleasant or healthy so um it's a friendship bond. It's, it's also, what I think, what's great about a companion archetype. That person can just keep it real for the other one. You know, they've been through everything with them, but they can also go, hey, you know, let's just slow down a little bit. They can, mm-hmm. Be, mm-hmm. They can help be that, that voice of reason and, and, in a way, a witness to, to what's going on for the other person. So it's so hard to see how the companion can show up as as uh, disempowered. Like, what is is there a shadow aspect to the companion? Yeah, well, I mentioned a few, but but betrayal is a really big one. When yeah. you know someone so well and you know their secrets, you're you know there's a vulnerability there, and if you can see it, you can see it in um. There's a couple of films of of basically bad friends. There's a, there's a lot of them out there, but the shadow side. The Hangover films are interesting for that because they're kind of buddies, but they're kind of not. And hmm. even in, uh, yeah, those those are interesting films in terms of the sort of male bonding and having each other's back and then just kind of screwing each other over, sort of <laughs> selfish things. But um, the movie Mildred Pierce, and there's two versions. There's a classic like 1945 version with Eve Arden. She plays sort of the understudy kind of assistant uh, or, you know, she's the friend, but she can really betray. You can really get to know and support, but then she gets jealous of the attention and and betrays their friend. The Social Network is a really interesting, the, the David Fincher film about Facebook. There's a lot of friend betrayal there, too, mm-hmm. where when, when push comes to shove, who's going to be your friend? Mm-hmm. And what's that going to look like? And that's, you know, that's that's really tragic because you can't replace that friendship. They're always sort of their own special entity in and of themselves. Um, 
but let's talk about in the light side too, that sort of being able to sacrifice, but not sacrifice in an unhealthy way for mm-hmm. the friend. Um, the movie Goodwill Hunting, um, I enjoy that film quite a lot. And it's it's Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are the two leads. And Ben Affleck is, I, I think, really playing an excellent version of the friend, um, the companion. And he, at a certain point, you know, this is his... His, it's his best friend, but he's really pushing him out of the nest going, you know what, you've got a talent that nobody else here has and you need to go use it. Like he would want him to stay and just stay in the same town and do the same thing. But as a friend, he basically says, no, you need to go, get out, go. You're my friend, but you've got a lot more going on. And that's a really kind of touching moment and purely a companion moment where you're just like, you know, you understand that person and you're witness to their talents and reminding them that they've got talents and letting them go on. Um, and then there's a classic, of course, Thelma and Louise, which has its own kind of tragic ending, but those two women, Susan Sarandon and uh, Gina Davis, the characters they play, oh my God, there's friendship right there. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't decide if one was more of a companion than the other. I think in a way they kind of did it both for each other. One is a bit more of a sidekick, but it's it's a beautiful film to kind of see that standing with each other that Mm, mm -hmm. tenacity and loyalty in in that and yeah there's a there's a whole long list of sidekick and buddy archetypes but those are the ones I think that I think the most poignant um, for this Mm -hmm. um so to begin to wrap up this podcast episode I thought it would be useful to mention that the tarot cards themselves if you're interested in projection and especially in in discovering things about relationship questions, the tarot are really ideal for this. And, um, and they also can be a companion for you on your life's journey. So, uh, things that we are unconscious of, we can do a tarot spread and the images and the characters that pop out at us that we feel strong emotional feelings towards, even though they're just like a little image on a card, those can give us really big clues as to what our projections are, what our ideas are about relationships, about partnerships, companionship, friendships even. So, um, and there's one that's come into my field of awareness recently that if you're wanting to look more into different lover situations. So we've got the whole gamut of mythology being expressed through the images and stories of this particular tarot deck, which is the Lover's Path Tarot. Uh, And it's by Chris Waldher, W-A-L-D-H-E-R-R. And it just explores all different kinds of mythological love relationships and different kinds of love, some of that we've mentioned. So the each major arcana card has a different love story from mythology, and then they go in-depth into different sequences of myths for the minor arcana. So for instance, the arrows, which would be the, the suit of swords, goes into that Eros and Psyche myth. Um, and the cups is the Tristan and Isolde myth, which is the one explored by that book, We, which you really should check out, definitely. And um, so, yes, so this is The Lovers. And next, so (laughs) we'll be entering the stage of The Chariot, which is very exciting because our fool, our hero, after having to make his first choice, is set out on a new journey on The Chariot. So that'll be very, very exciting to explore and see. And thanks for joining us. Again, please send us feedback or if you have questions, um, let us know. And we hope you have a great day. Thanks so much. 
Thank you for joining us to the Archetypal Tarot Podcast. For more information on Sundara's work, please visit her website, tarotdreamstone.com. For more information on Archetype Consulting, visit archetypist.com. That's A-R-C-H-E-T-Y-P-I-S-T.com. Thanks for listening.